Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Right, will you turn with me to Psalm 86? In our couple year long study through the book of Psalms on Wednesday evenings, we've learned that so many of these songs have as their outline how to move from fear to faith. And we've also learned that the important first step out of fear and to faith is always to focus on the facts, who God is, what God's done, and what God's promised to do. And that's exactly what we see here in Psalm 86. If you look at the superscript, that little part that's usually under the number, uh, sometimes in italics, it says it's a prayer of David. And this is the only psalm in book three of the psalms that has David explicitly listed as its human author. Not only is this a moving from fear to faith psalm, it's also what some people call a mosaic psalm, meaning that there's a bunch of phrases here in Psalm 86 that are um, compiled from Psalms 25 through 28 and Psalm 54 to 57. Uh, I think we kind of do that sometimes too with songs. Uh, What do you call them, Tommy? You call them medleys when you take other songs and put them together. And that's that's really what Psalm 86 is. But uh, while we may have read or studied some of these phrases that we find here before, they're important reminders for us to study again that tell us about who God is, what God's done, and what God's promised to do for us. Let's read Psalm 86. This is, Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear. O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name, for thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way. O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set them set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, and gracious, and long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me, and have mercy upon me. 
Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast hope in me and comforted me. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this evening. We ask that your Holy Spirit that inspired David to write every word here in Psalm 86 would take the truth that you give to us in it and drive it deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of who you are, what you have done, so that we have the strength to leave any place of fear we might find ourselves in right now or in the days ahead and rise to faith, never forgetting your past grace in our life so that we have faith that you are still gracious right now and that you will be so tomorrow. Show us that. Remind us of that. Help us to live in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Who God is. That's the first fact, and it's in verses 1 to 8. As we jump into verse 1, we find David praying to God for God to bow down his ear to hear the prayer that David is making. And what a joy to know that we have a God who is accessible uh, that easily. We can just start speaking to him. Uh, For all those who have a relationship with him through faith in Jesus, we have that kind of access to God. Uh, He is our creator. That's who God is. Whenever you're reading through scripture, you're going to find many names for God, names that he has revealed to us in his word so that we can know him. And it's important that we pay attention to which ones are used and where they are used. Uh, So much more than synonyms. Uh, They indicate truths that God wants us to know about who he is. So here in verse 1, if you look at the name of God there, it's Lord, all capitals, L-O-R-D. When you come across that in scripture, that is Yahweh, uh, the name he gave to Moses at the burning bush. He said, this is what I want you to know me as, the name he revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament. And he's mentioned, uh, that, that name is mentioned a number of times in this passage, Yahweh. The creator, that's what it means. The one who is. He had no beginning. He wasn't created. He's the creator, the one who has no end. Um, The one who causes to be. That's what all capitals Lord Yahweh means. And that's who David's praying to here. That's the name of God that God inspires David to use at the outset of this prayer song. And David doesn't just request that God bow down his ear to hear David's prayer. But David provides some reasons that God should do that. First of all, David's condition. He's poor and needy. That's what it says there in verse 1. Isn't it a blessing to know that God hears the prayer of the humble, of the destitute, of those who are without any other resources for help, those who are wholly dependent on God alone. David's condition. Another reason is David's connection. We see that in verse 2. He says, preserve my soul for I am holy. Now David doesn't mean that he's without sin. We know he wasn't without sin. David knows he's not without sin. When David uses that word holy there, he's talking about that because he has a relationship with God through faith. He has been chosen by God. He has been set apart by God for God. It's not David's works. It's not David's lack of works that connects him to relationship with God. And that should be a reason for God hearing David's prayer. It's faith. Look at the end of verse 2 for evidence. It says, save thy servant who trusteth in thee. And given a third reason that David can confidently call on God 
Yahweh, his creator, to bow down and hear his prayer. That's David's consistency in verse 3. He says, I cry unto thee daily. And not just daily, but in the Hebrew, uh, and maybe some of your modern translations might say all day long. That's what it means. And so David's is a close, consistent connection with God. So Psalm 86 continues to inform us about who God is. He's not just David's creator. He's also his master. And verse 3 switches the um, usage of the name of God there from all caps, L-O-R-D, Yahweh. Verse 3 has a capital L, small O-R-D. That's uh, a Hebrew name for God, Adonai, meaning master, sovereign ruler over all. That is who David is crying out to prayer in all day long here. And then in verse 4, it's David's master that he's lifting up his soul to and pleading for a rejoicing of soul through. That is who God is, our creator and our master. He's described further in verse 5. says, for thou, Lord, art good. Is God good? God is good. He's ready to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy. Aren't you so thankful for that? That God is ready to forgive? <coughs> He's not hesitant to forgive. I think sometimes we see God as needing to be induced to forgive us or convinced to forgive us. It's not who he is. God is ready to forgive. When the Holy Spirit convicts you or me of some sin in our life and the greatness of guilt begins to weigh heavy on us, we need to remember what God is saying about himself right here in verse 5. We need to repeat to ourselves what God is saying about himself here. He's ready to forgive. Our God is ready to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy to all who call upon him. That's the only thing that's necessary for his grace to go from ready to a reality in our lives. Calling upon him for it. That's what God's word promises us in Proverbs 28, 13. One of my favorite verses from that book of scripture. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever... Whoever confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy. In verse 6, David prays once again for the Lord to hear. This time he uses the word to attend to his prayer. That's who our God is. He's an active, attentive listener to the prayers of his people. And it's wonderful that we have a master who isn't distracted when we go to him in prayer. But he attends. All of us right now could be praying together. Just a moment ago, I hope we all were as we opened up the service. All those prayers going up at once. And God has that capability of hearing and giving that level of attention to every single person who is praying to him. Have you ever talked to someone who's not very attentive? No, wives, no one looking at your husbands. You ever talk to someone like that and you're telling them something and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, wow, eh, crazy, eh, wow, eh. Amazing. That's not who God is. He attends. He attends to our prayers. No wonder David commits then to continue to go to God in verse 7. To continue to go to him for help. Because our attending master will answer. He'll answer our prayers. One more thing about who God is at the beginning of verse 8. He is God alone. He's unique. He's holy. There's no one else, nothing else like him. So we've got eight verses here at the outset of Psalm 86 
telling us all about who God is. It's such a vitally important fact for you and I to meditate on when we find ourselves in a place of fear, wanting to leave that, wanting to ascend to a place of faith. Now, the second category of facts that we need to remember to leave fear and rise to faith is what God has done. We see that at the rest of verse 8 and on into verse 13. He's our sustainer. Back in verse 1, the creator name of God was used. But the prayer since verse 2 has been for God to preserve David's soul. And our creator is also our sustainer. The second part of verse 8 speaks about what God has done when it says, Neither are there any works that are like your works, Lord. And the Lord of verse 8 is once again that all capitals Yahweh name for God, the creator name for God. Our creator is also our sustainer. When verse 8 talks about the works of God, it's speaking primarily about what he has made more than what he has done. What he has worked in creation. He's created you. And the one who created you will sustain you. In verse 9, it reminds us that he is creator and master over all nations. It's very interesting because uh, when David wrote this in that time, in that culture, and the surrounding cultures, there were national gods. You had this God and this nation would have this God. David says, no. He's creator and master over all nations. There will be a day when they will all come and worship him. That's actually began to happen when the church of Jesus Christ began. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a study through the book of Acts. That's when this started. All nations receiving the gospel. The gospel going out and being spread and peoples throughout the world redeemed by God. And this will happen fully and finally. What we read in verse 9 after Jesus Christ returns in the second coming when he sets up his millennial kingdom to reign here on earth. Let's look at verse 10. I believe we need to focus on this fact so desperately right now in this time in our world and in our nation and our culture. It says, for thou art great and thou doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Are God's works great? They are. Has he done wondrous things? But please notice the tense of the verb there in verse 10. It says, you do. <laughs> in the King James, you doest. You do wondrous things, God. God's still doing wondrous things, church. They're transpiring before our eyes even today. If we will take time to look and notice in a world that seems to be falling apart, we've got to remember that our master, our, our sustainer, he is sovereignly in control. And things are really just falling into place. They're happening just as he said they would. In a world that is increasing in its rebellion toward him, we need to recognize that our master is still doing wondrous things. There's rebels who are still being redeemed, being saved. He's still on the throne. His hand is still mighty to save. Look at verse 11. David prays that the Lord would teach him his way so that David can walk in his truth. David asked God to teach him how to live. And so once again in the Psalms, we have a prayer that requests for David's will to be aligned with God's will, not the other way around. Verse 11 is a prayer where David says, not give me my way, but teach me your way. 
master. And then verse 11 closes with this phrase, unite my heart to fear thy name. What a beautiful prayer. Because a God who is Lord alone is worthy of a heart that is his alone. Not divided or distracted, but wholly his. And that's what David commits to in verse 12. He says, I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And God is worthy of our wholehearted, unending praise because of what he has done for us. Let's talk about that in verse 13. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. He's not just our sustainer. God is also our savior. And his mercy is great toward us, isn't it? That's what David cries out in verse 13. In his great mercy, and you and I not getting what we deserve, he has delivered our soul from the lowest hell. And we never forget that. Pastor C.T. Townsend once said, even on my worst day, you think about the worst day you've ever had. Even on your worst day, can't we praise God that we haven't got and that we won't get what we deserve? Every so often, Pastor Townsend said, I think it would be good if God could just peel back the lid off of hell for a second and remind us that it doesn't matter who our parents are. It doesn't matter how much money we have or what kind of position we've attained in life. It doesn't matter what we have done or what we haven't done. And eternity in hell away from God, that is what every single one of us deserves. But praise God. With our whole hearts, like David does here, with our whole hearts, praise God. His mercy is great. And in Jesus Christ, he has delivered our soul from the lowest hell. Just like he says in verse 13. Church, right, right there, that, that is a fact that we should never forget. Never stop focusing on. Praise God for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, your creator, he is your sustainer. And the Lord, who is your master, is your savior. Now let's look at what God's promised. Verse 14 to 17. O God, the proud are risen against me. The assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and they have not set thee before them. David talks to God about one of the things that's causing his fear here in verse 14. Proud, violent men have risen up against him. They want to do him in. That was a frequent reality. Frequent cause of fear in David's life. Now that may or may not be our lot. We might be blessed enough to not have to worry about someone trying to hunt us down on our way home tonight. Uh, may not be proud or violent men. But our fears might arise from something else. It might be sin we're struggling with. It might be suffering. It might be some other trial or tribulation. And either way, just like those proud and violent men, whatever we are, whatever fear we're struggling with, it's clamoring for us to focus on it. Instead of who God is and what God's done and what God's promised to do for us. So David returns his focus back to God in verse 15. Giving us a pattern to follow in whatever fears we are fighting. He says, but thou, Lord, art God full of compassion. You're full of compassion. You're gracious. Long-suffering. Plenteous in mercy and truth. Full of compassion. And because God is unchanging who he always has been, described right there, that's who he is right now. And that's who he is always going to be for us. His compassion is not going to be less full later on tonight. His mercy and truth is not going to be less plenteous later this week. 
says long suffering. That's a very common word in scripture, but in the Hebrew, it's a really weird phrase. It really, it means long of nostrils. It's really what it means. What it means is he doesn't get all, his nose doesn't turn red. Doesn't get frustrated. Do you understand? We serve a God who doesn't get frustrated because he's omnipotent. <laughs> he's sovereign. He doesn't get frustrated. Plenteous in mercy, full of compassion. That's who our God is. So David prays in verse 16. He prays for God to turn toward him, to pour out mercy on him, and to give strength to him. That's what God's promised. He's promised strength. David's asking for it. David's simply, he's just simply praying for what God has already promised him, promised to provide him. What about you? Can you count on God to give you all of this, everything that's listed there in verse 15? Can you count on him to give it to you tomorrow if it's needed? Well, let me remind you of God's promise to you in Deuteronomy 33, 25. As your days are, so shall your strength be. That's what God promises you. Isn't that a comfort? That means that if God wakes you up tomorrow, he's going to provide all the strength that you need for whatever it is that he has for you to do and whatever his sovereign will has planned for you to face, you'll have it. You'll have that strength for tomorrow. You don't need to try to save up or hoard some of today's strength, some of today's grace for tomorrow. You can't. So it's a futile endeavor to try to do that. God's got a full and plenty dose for you to dispense whenever it will be needed tomorrow or next month or next year. Isn't that what God promises us in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 when he says his compassions never fail? They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's not only promised you strength in the future, but also salvation. That's what the rest of verse 16 asks for. David says, save the son of thine handmaid. We don't know a whole lot about David's mother. Scripture doesn't really say anything about her. And, and I think there's likely a messianic application there where it's referring to Jesus Christ, a descendant of David in the future. Um, especially with the word and phrase, handmaid there. But I think there's also probably a message about how David saw himself in relationship to God. There's a couple of times in Scripture, in Genesis and in the Minor Prophets, where we learn of what is called a homeborn slave. And what that means is someone who was a slave because their mother was a slave. They were born into servitude. I think that might be David's concept here when he says, save the son of thine handmaid. David's saying, my mother belonged to God. The Lord was her master. She was a servant of God. And he's my master too. He's my savior. And David closes this prayer song in verse 17 by asking that God would show him a token or a sign for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, O Lord, I'm going back to all capitals, Yahweh, the creator of God, you have helped me and comforted me. So David here, he's not demanding that God would give him the entire answer. He's not expecting the entire answer for his prayers right here, right now. He's saying, God, can you just give me like a little token, uh, a sign, some indication 
that you're there, that your help and your power are on their way. It may also be a way of David saying, God, mark me. Make me a token. Make, make me a sign so that others will recognize your possession of me, my belonging to you, and that you are. You are going to deliver me. So beautiful there in verse 17 because David's basing his current and his future expectations of God's grace being poured out in his life. He's basing it on who God is and who God, uh, what God has done for him in the past. God has helped. God has comforted. So David knows that his Lord, his creator, his sustainer, his master, his savior will do it again. Because that's what God's promised to do. Do you know that? Do you know it? When fears surround you, and the very normal human thing is for your focus to be fixed on that, will you do what David did here once again? Will you shift your focus from fear to the facts? Who God is, what God's done, what God's promised to do? Will you allow your creator, your, your sustainer, your savior, will you allow him to grab your gaze away from fear so you can rise to faith in him? I hope our study has begun that movement even tonight. Will you choose to dwell on your full of compassion and plenteous in mercy master? The one who created you. The one who sustains you right now, who's giving breath into your lungs. The one who delivered your soul from the lowest hell. I think that, that is the most critical thing for us to grab a hold of as evidence for his great love for us. He delivered your soul from the lowest hell. If he did that, if you're trusting him with your eternity, isn't it kind of crazy not to trust him with Wednesday night? Or tomorrow? Whatever comes next week? He's worthy of it. He's worthy of that trust. That's why he's told us once more to focus on who he is, what he's done, so that we'll have faith in what he's promised. As Tommy and the praise team come up, as we sing a couple of songs of praise here and close our service together, exalt him as your creator and your sustainer and your savior. Celebrate him as your Lord and your master tonight. <laughs>